Hey everyone, welcome to Unlikely to Apologize. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki, and Heather is actually out this week. Uh, she is not feeling that well, so you guys will be joining me on this intro to this week's episode. Uh, this week's episode is our interview with the incredible and resilient Michelle Connor. Those two words are probably um, not enough to describe how amazing this woman is. Michelle is a licensed clinical social worker. She's also a clinical trauma expert. She's a Reiki practitioner amongst a, a, a list of things that, that she does in her practice every day. Uh, she has spent most of her life or all of her life up until most recently three years, uh, taking care of everybody else around her. And once she was faced with some infertility issues, she decided to embark on her own healing journey. Uh, out of all the stories and all the women we've talked to, this one touched me and Heather. Um, it, it had it basically had Heather in tears and me basically speechless for, for most of it. Um, of course, I never keep my mouth shut, so I'm sure you'll hear me throughout it. But um, her infertility journey is probably one of the most um, surprising and shocking that I've ever heard, which I think is why this this interview sticks sticks out so much in my brain. Um, there's a lot of things that Michelle has done to heal herself, and I'm in awe of her strength and her. I, I can't. I, I'm speechless. Um, strength is a is a, a good word to use for her. She has she has accomplished a lot for what she has given. And I'm, I'm so happy that she, she took the time to finally sit down and talk about her story and, and let us be the first to share it. So thank you for joining us this week. And of course, if you have any feedback or comments, you can find us on Instagram at unlikely to apologize. Uh, you can also send us an email at hello at unlikely to apologize podcast.com. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks everyone. Bye. Hey, Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you as well. Your bio, we are reading it on oh, Friday. So <laughs> and I was like, literal tears. I was like, oh, this is, this is so great. You've done so much, Michelle. I'm, you should be so proud of yourself. Like, I know. I, I don't even know you. And I was reading your bio and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I'm so proud of her. Like all that you've accomplished. It's, it's insane. It's so great. So um, why don't we kind of jump into it? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, who you are. Okay. So my name is Michelle. I'm a 38 year old fur mama from Connecticut. Um, I'm a big Harry Potter nerd. I love playing sports. And my biggest thing is hiking. I love being out in mother nature and connecting to the universe as much as I possibly can nowadays. Cause it brings me a lot of peace and joy. And I'm one of six siblings, all from different fathers, mothers, all that kind of stuff. And we can get into that later if you'd like to. <laughs> we'll definitely <laughs> jump into that. Great hiking. You take the dog out with the, with your hikes. Oh yeah. 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 He's nice. fully trained. He loves the snow. And, um, but I do like to enjoy going by myself sometimes. Cause you know, he could be a little bit of a distraction. So when I need to like really woosa and, you know, connect with my intuition and stuff, sometimes I'll go by myself. It's kind of like a, like a therapy type session yeah. in a sense. Nice. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, I love that. All right. So what do you do? Right. Yeah. It's kind of, let's, what I'm curious as to what you do now and then kind of the journey, um, that led you to where you are now. 
Okay. So currently I'm a psychotherapist. My credentials are I'm a clinical social worker. So I have an undergrad in a bachelor's of science, and then I have a master's in social work and I have a license to practice psychotherapy. So that took some work two years after my graduate degree to obtain. Um, so I've been practicing psychotherapy on my own for about five years now with my own business. Prior to that, I was employed through Yale Hospital and I was working on almost every unit, every program that they had as a per diem clinician. So wherever they needed me, that's where I was. And in conjunction with that, I had been asked to join a doctor's private practice who I worked with at Yale. So before I opened my own, I joined theirs, learned the ropes, was there for about four years. And then I finally embarked upon my own healing journey and self-love journey, which resulted in my resigning from Yale and opening in my own practice so that I could have minimal hours of working. <laughs> so I went from working 60 hours a week to about 25 um, to start healing my own trauma and uh, embarking upon this new journey that I am. So I could jump right into, you know, how I became a therapist, if you guys want. Yeah, I would love that, yes. So like I said, I'm, I'm one of six children. My parents were divorced when I was two years old. So I have a brother, Justin, who is two years younger than me from the same parents. And then our mom remarried when I was about 11 years old. And then she had our awesome sister, Brianna, a um, couple years after that. And so she's from a different dad, but same mom. And we were all raised together. And my father had a lot of fun after his divorce. And he had two children from another woman. And then about 13 years ago, we were introduced to another brother um, who my dad didn't know existed in life until 13 years ago. And his name is also Justin. Wow. So as a child growing up um, with divorced parents, both of my parents have significant mental health and psychiatric issues, and they both have addictions. So I had a lot of childhood trauma from about age zero to eight or nine when my stepfather was introduced in my life. And then I had multiple stability when he married my mom. And then after that, stuff kind of hit the fan again when my uncle was murdered when we, I was 19. So after that, my family and all of her siblings, my mom, their drug addictions and their mental health kind of escalated and amplified because of the trauma they endured. So going back to, I always knew as a child, I wanted to be a helper. I, I had a strong intuition and even enduring a ton of trauma. I knew that my family needed help and so did I. And, and growing up in an unsafe environment, never knowing what's gonna happen the next day, witnessing domestic violence, a lot of emotional abuse I endured, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, pays a toll on somebody, but I knew I still wanted to help. So I initially was a nursing major. I am the first generation to graduate college in my entire family, which I'm incredibly proud of. So proud. You should be. Thank you. And it was a, it was a traumatic journey, my college education. I put myself through school financially, emotionally, and physically. And while going through college, I had to work full time. And I was also taking care of my siblings, little cousins, aunties, uncles, mommy, dad, whoever I could to support, you know, because I saw that there was a need. So as I'm embarking upon this nursing journey, I, I decided to sign up and become a CNA, get myself in the hospital and see if this was the right move for me. Realized it was not. And I followed the social work around in the hospital a lot. And I realized I was better at helping people's emotionality than their physicality. And that's what led me to embark upon the social work journey. And here I am today talking with you ladies. And this is the first time I'm actually ever going public with my story. Um, wow, I'm thank like you. In, I'm in tears <laughs> yeah. Like I, wow. 
It's Thank you. And just interrupt because I, I told I told Nikki I have a lot to say because I have <laughs> never been able, no one really asks me, right? Like, and that's okay. I've been okay with that. I've been in my own therapy for years. And more recently, the best therapy ever. It's called EMDR. Don't ask me what that stands for, ladies, because I can't remember. But it's about emotional movement. So basically, it's a different way of processing your trauma. And I was finally able to do this. I could not process my trauma working full time and going to school because I would cave. I would not be able to function, right? Having to deal with that stuff. So I kind of put it on the back burner, avoided it and just survived. So then when I was able to leave Yale and focus on myself, this EMDR was amazing. I, so basically it's bilateral movement. I would hold these tappers and it kind of drowns out your conscious mind because that's where we think we know everything. We think we need everything. That's where we've been socially conditioned and culturally conditioned but it's the stuff in the unconscious, the subconscious where we store the trauma. So the bilateral movement helps the subconscious come up. So you literally sit there vulnerable as heck with your therapist in a safe place and you just dig deep. You go back to visualizing every single trauma that you've endured and you sit with it, you feel it, you face it, you deal with it. Oh my God. I have to say there was, go ahead. You have a question? I wanna, yeah, I want a question. So I'm like, how... So of course, traumas are coming up that you might not necessarily even know about, right? Or, or you, your body has just forced them in the back and you've just forgotten about them and now they're shedding play. And any of those moments, did you think that you were better off just dealing, rephrase that. Did you think that you were hurting yourself a little bit more because you didn't remember it and now you had to go through it because you were getting this memory? Or did you feel comfortable enough and strong enough in your healing that you're like, okay, I can handle this. I can make my way through it. Is that, that's kind of. Yeah. I was kind of wondering the same thing because if, if, if you don't know, you don't, well, typically you don't remember things as a young child. So if you've experienced some kind of trauma or abuse, you know, from zero to, I mean, I don't remember earlier than five. Right. And you're sitting in this um, therapy. Yeah. I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, is it, is it more helpful or more hurtful to kind of remember it? But then I guess if you've got this underlying trauma that you don't know about, it's affecting you either way. Right. That's what something Caitlin said too. She was like, where, yeah. where stuff comes up that you don't necessarily know and your body body keeps a score. Right. It was a book that she mentioned too on, on the podcast that your body just remembers all these things. So hurtful, helpful, harder. Did it make it harder? All of those things. So I should preface, I'm, I'm a certified trauma therapist. So before embarking upon healing my own trauma, I, I work with people every day who've experienced this. And although it's really difficult to face these things, whether you remember them or not, your subconscious remembers them. And that's why you experience triggers. Um, I love that book, The Body Keeps a Score. I have read it and it's the, so true. Don't pay attention to your head and your mind. Pay attention to your body because it will tell you every time what you need. And then what happens is we get in our conscious mind, right? So once the trauma came up and there was some things that, that I said to my therapist, I'm like, holy crap, did that really happen to me? And she's like, just go with it because there were some things that I didn't remember, but it, my subconscious knew what I needed to process and work through. And at this point, there was times where I didn't want to, right? There was times I was curled up in the fetal position on her couch, ugly crying, boogers flying. And even my therapist, knowing that I'm a therapist, she would say, Michelle, are you okay? Do you want to stop? And I'm like, hell no, because I, if I stop, I'm never coming back. I need to machete through this shit right now. Excuse my language. So I would, I, I was ready. I was ready to feel better. And for the first time in Michelle's life, take care of Michelle. And that was the start of my healing journey was with the EMDR. 
Um, like, I'm, I'm going to research that because I want to know, know so I'm, much more I'm about it. I'm very intrigued into that kind of therapy and that kind of... I think that's something that might be good for you, honestly. I know. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm like, wow, I feel like I could use that in my own life. Yeah, it's, it's super powerful, and uh, it's a different way of processing, and I found that it's more effective than some of the traditional modalities that I was using, such as trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm sure you guys have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's just really teaching people how the interconnection of our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? Because when we have trauma, and if it's stored in the subconscious, then we're triggered, right? Like I might hear a loud noise, and it might make me jump because I witnessed gun violence, right? And then I don't know where that came from, you know, but my body is feeling some type of way. So it's so important to get that stuff out of the subconscious so that we can heal effectively. Yeah, that's like... I'm like, I'm like, I want to do it. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little bit speechless here. Like, I don't even know what to ask. Right. So we've talked about, you know, last week, we, I don't know if you listened to our episode last week, but Heather has just recently come to terms with the fact that what you've been doing isn't necessarily working, working. I don't want to, you know, yeah, so I, I'm definitely like, I'm just over here listening, like hanging on every word you say, right. because I'm just so fascinated with all of this. So one of the things that I think we mentioned was like the, you know, the emotional tool bag or whatever, I forget how we put it about needing certain tools and how they don't work, but we didn't necessarily even think or talk about like stuff subconsciously. Like, yeah. You don't, well, again, like you don't, if it's right. not something that you are aware that you've experienced, how do you know that you're suffering from right. it? Right. Like the subconscious, I never would have thought of that either. Right. So that's, a, that's why I think this might, that's, that's, this is good. I love this. I know I do too. Yeah. This is great. Cool. I'm glad you guys are loving it. Cause you know, I have to say that like a lot, so because I've been through so much as a person and I'll get into more recently, what my recent trauma was for myself that kind of led me to more of a spiritual journey, a spiritual awakening. Um, a lot of my friends, my whole life, the ones who I would open up to about some of this, because, you know, as a child and an adolescent kind of ashamed, I don't want to tell people who my parents are or, and, 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 you know, I love my parents to death. I'm not going to speak ill of them. They're fabulous people for what they are. They've been through their own general curses, generational curses and trauma. I've forgiven them. That was the bulk of my treatment um, because I'm not going to hold on to that. Then I'm giving them too much power. And they, this was not about me, right? Danny mentioned the four agreements and here are the four agreements. Try not to take things personally. Don't make assumptions. Be impeccable with your word, meaning have integrity and do the best that you can. So after I read that book, and it's a pretty easy read, I follow those four agreements every day. And I realized I had been trying to practice those prior to, because it was not about me. It was about whatever my parents were going through. And I really would like to think they tried to do the best they can to parent us. And a lot of it was broken, right? Because they were broken. So I want you to think about trauma in this kind of analogy, okay? So like we, we fall down and we get a hurt right? We get a scab or something like that, a physical injury. You have two choices. You can either forget about it, not put a Band-Aid on it or clean it out and hope that it goes away over time, right? But what might happen to that, that, that boo-boo? It might become infected over time, right? If you don't clean it out with the peroxide that burns like hell and slap that Band-Aid on it. So thinking about trauma, it's literally digging deep and bringing that stuff to the surface. And that's the medicine, facing it sitting with the uncomfortability, embracing your emotions in order to be able to let them go and heal. And in time, that wound will feel better over time. Does that make sense? Right. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. That is a really, really 
great way of thinking about it. I think also to the triggers moments too, that there's times where I can, where I think something doesn't bother me, but I can feel it like my, feel your body reacting, like, reacting to it. And I'm like, why am I like, why am I hot? Like I asked, like, if I'm sitting and doing something and something might make me uncomfortable instead of like removing myself, I'll just get hot. <laughs> like I don't understand yeah, why that it, happens. I feel like I'm the same way. Like yeah. if something's bothering me or I'm getting upset, I feel like you physically you get feel tense, it yeah. and you're like, and then later on, you're like, that shouldn't have affected me that way. But clearly there's a reason. Yeah. I wonder if that too ties into the reactive moments we, we talked about last week too, because I've learned to control that behavior myself. But I'm for it. Yeah. And then I used to say, sorry, I used to say jokingly, with one of my friends who had been through trauma, I don't act crazy. I react crazy. Yes. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. gosh, that's me. That's, I don't act crazy. I react. Cr yes. I love you. I was going to say that's perfect. That's that perfect. is exactly how I react. <laughs> I just let her have her reactive, like her crazy reactive moments. And then she finally will come down and go, oh my God, why, why did I just do that? Yeah. And I think for people, like if you haven't been in therapy or been educated on trauma and how it affects you, you know, our central nervous systems are fired off with any trigger, especially during a global pandemic for the last two years you know, everybody's going through it. So your central nervous system's fired up. That's when you guys are feeling hot. The heart rate is palpitating. Some people go into a panic attack and you're wondering where the hell is this coming from? But if you start to pay attention to your body and you, you figure out those triggers, right? Slowly over time, you're gonna be able to be insightful about them and then you have a choice. Am I gonna heal them? Am I gonna work through them? Or am I gonna avoid them, run away in the fear? And that's why most people don't face things, right? Because they're fearful. And it makes so much sense. So throughout my whole life, and like, you know, you guys were even saying before we started this, wow, like I'm so enamored with your bio biography and all this stuff. And I'm like, all of my friends have said that my whole life, right? So Michelle, you should really tell your story. Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to you. And for me, I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is just, this is my life. This is normal. This is what Michelle goes through. But then as I continue to to go through things, more things through my life and adulthood and met certain clients and coworkers and superiors, everyone started saying that to me. So I started working on my book a couple of years ago. It is nowhere near finished. Um, <laughs> and so this is, you know, I'm, I've been encouraged to talk. People have been wanting me to talk for a while. And I have to be honest with you, I was nervous because of the trauma I went through and the, the core beliefs that were projected onto me. For example, like, if I started to have a voice, I would be shut down. You're a kid, don't talk, shut up. You don't know what you mean. You're not smart, you're this. So I, I adapted those, right? As a kid, you're, you're taking what your parents are saying or whoever these family members are saying and you start to believe it. And then I went to school and I got bullied and then I started to believe it, okay? So now I've been hermit mode for about four years through this journey. I've been off of social media because who the hell wants to hear people's opinions about you, right? Because I would react crazy and get defensive because I wasn't healed. And so with everybody's feedback telling me your story is something, Michelle, I really would like you to share it. That is why I'm here now with you ladies, allowing myself to be incredibly vulnerable because public speaking has been not my forte because I would get anxious, body hot, I would panic. There was one time I did this big presentation at Yale and I almost dipped on it because I ran in the bathroom. I said to my friend Danielle, I was like, I can't do this. Tell her I'm sick, tell my boss I'm sick, I can't do this. But I did it, you know, you face it and, and over time it gets a little bit better. So I'm really happy that you all invited me on here and sharing my story to help whoever I can, whoever wants to help actually, that's important. I think, yeah, I think that's very important too, is, is 
finally getting to a place of knowing where you healed and going, somebody else is going to listen to this and they're going to need, no, they need to know that it's okay to start. Well, and also (laughs) with that, it's, if there's somebody who is a few steps behind you that doesn't, they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do next. They don't know that it's possible to come out of feeling how they're feeling. So I just Mm -hmm. feel it's incredibly important for other women to see women farther along Mm-hmm. then then yeah. you know it's also that it. that big like oh my god me too I feel this way how yeah. did she do it let me you know that's kind of what all this is kind of more so turning into it is exactly what we wanted to do and as we're listening to more and more people it's becoming like you said there's people that are just starting there's people who don't they're not even admitting they have an issue yet right mm-hmm. and if, we, mm-hmm. if you can share your story and and sit, you know admit that you were there and you found a place to start somebody's going to go, okay, I can do this. So honestly, like I, you're amazing. <laughs> like it's just reading everything. So I can't wait to get a little bit more into it. So after you did, after you kind of, I guess we should pick up where you, you left Yale, you started your own practice. You then, you just mentioned you took about four years off of like this journey you're on. Was there something you mentioned in your bio, like mental illness? We were talking about this on Friday, her and I, about how I feel sometimes women just take on too much with work. Sometimes you just feel like you have to be the yes man to everything. And it kind of sends you into a spiral because you're taking care of the home or you're taking care of a relationship. You got to take care of your health. You know, you got to take care of kids or a husband, whatever it may be. And there's only so much on your plate that you can handle. And we reached this like burnout status where a lot of people I've talked to have left what they thought they were supposed to do or wanted Mm -hmm. to be like, nope, I need to heal myself. And then I'm going to do this. Right. So what was that like? Was there something that kind of pushed you to go, all right, I'm done. Yeah. What was the final moment where you were like, I have to leave this job? Or was there one thing in particular? Or was it just like one day you were like, I can't anymore? So it's multiple things. Um, I was running on empty for a long time before my brain wanted to admit it, right? My body was literally shutting down because I was working 12 to 15 hours a day. I'd be at the psychiatric hospital running around like you don't, there's nonstop. Um, And then I would go right to the private practice. I wasn't getting home until about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, My husband and I were planning a wedding, planning on buying our house. I was taking care of my father, my mother, my aunties. We were raising a a kid from the age of 13 to 18, who was my little cousin. And he developed his own serious addiction with heroin. And that was kind of like a really the climax for me. It it broke me down. I was able to deal with it with my parents and his parents through life. But having someone in my home with that, with that kind of drug was, it was really intense. So long story short, I wasn't sleeping. I, I, And I wasn't admitting that I was depressed again. I was first diagnosed with major depression in my early 20s um, and PTSD and anxiety. And then, you know, I thought I had it together. Once I made it, here she goes. She's going through life. I'm a pretty optimistic person. Surface, it wasn't bothering me, but subconsciously it was, right? And so my body was screaming at me, but Michelle wasn't listening. So when I couldn't sleep anymore, I couldn't get to my job at 7 a.m. like I was supposed to. So I had to take FMLA. I tried to make it work and take care of myself that way and find the balance, but it wasn't working. You know, the bureaucratic stuff you deal with at work, people are only so understanding. So I left, I had to resign after receiving, I worked 
a whole year at Yale for a huge promotion to LCSW2. It's just an internal thing where I did receive a raise and became a supervisor for some people. And people thought I was crazy for leaving and resigning. And I have to say, I loved my job, what I was doing. I loved working for Yale and I loved what I was doing, but I knew my mental health was more important. I should also mention the biggest thing is my husband and I were married seven years ago. And this is when we started our baby journey, our, our fertility journey. Um, like I said, I'm a firm mom. I do not have any children. So I was in the crux of my depression again, but I was not ready to admit it. Left, started doing EMDR. And this is when I was really able to process because the fertility, not being able to have a child after you have taken care of everybody else in the world, almost you feel you're a good person. You don't use drugs yourself. You've worked on your mental health. You bought the house to put the babies in. You have an amazing husband, soulmate. And then the world slaps you and was like, yeah, sis, this isn't for you. You can't have a baby. We went through multiple testing. Nothing was substantiated with me or him. He is like super fertile, mobile sperm. I was <laughs> ovulating. I had a lot of eggs. They couldn't tell me what was wrong. So I took a break. We didn't want to do IVF in the beginning of our journey seven years ago. So, and not to mention it's astronomically ridiculously expensive yeah, and insurance didn't cover it. Go ahead. We did IVF twice in 2020 um, after three rounds of IUIs. I'm like crying listening to your story um, because I felt the same way. Like we've got these great jobs. We've got the financial stability. We've got a loving home um, and nothing was wrong with me. Nothing was wrong with him. And so we did finally after four years of trying uh, one miscarriage three IUIs, we did do IVF twice. And yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculously expensive. Insurance mm -hmm. doesn't cover anything. And at the end of it, we still don't have our baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's really emotionally taxing. And, you know, I think for a lot of women and, and this was happening for myself, I was minimizing it. I was invalidating myself. Keep it moving, Michelle. Like you've been through a lot of things in life. This is what's going to break you. <laughs> right. And so, so we, we stopped for a little while. We're like, you know, whatever. And then my husband recently got a new job and they were going to cover most of it. So we, we started, um, IUI and IVF about a year and a half ago now, maybe a little longer. The timelines messed up right before we were about to start my first round of IUI. My mother had a serious, serious suicide attempt in which she was found unresponsive after 24 hours. She had taken over 120 pills and, uh, we thought she was gone, right? So I was about to start this baby journey. And of course you want your mom around even though we didn't have a great relationship at the time. So my brother and sister really stepped up and they were like, listen, you gotta take care of yourself, Michelle. Like we love you for everything that you've done for us and mom, we are okay with you setting a healthy boundary with our mother and you don't deal with any of this anymore. We got this, you go take care of yourself. So we did, my, you know, my siblings stepped up, took care of my mom, made sure she was okay. Loved my mom from afar, prayed for her. We did two rounds of IUI, unsuccessful. And here's what frustrates me about that. You go in, the insurance company says, yeah, you gotta do, yeah, you gotta fail with this first. You gotta fail with this. Well, hello, I've been failing for seven years. That's not enough to say I'm infertile to start this party. Give me the juice, give me the IVF. Stop <laughs> putting women through this emotional turmoil just to prove that we can't have a kid and you wanna pay for it, right? 
So long story short, two failed rounds of IUI. We do IVF. Uh, they extracted like a good 12 embryos. They were able to fertilize nine. They were going to put four in me. The day of surgery, when they were going to implant the embryos, they only had one left that was viable. So I was like, okay. So they implant one. It was the most beautiful thing I saw on the screen. My husband could not be present with me as I'm, I don't know, Heather, for you because COVID, I couldn't even FaceTime him. So it implants and then you have to wait, I don't know, what, like three weeks to, for the positive pregnancy test. So, you know, you try to stay positive and upbeat. Well, it started to spot and bleed before the day of my pregnancy test. So I kind of already knew that it probably didn't, wasn't successful. Get a call from the nurse the next morning. Sorry, Michelle, this, this baby is not viable. It's a chemical pregnancy. So you're going to pass it on your own, most likely. I did without giving TMI, um, was in a lot of pain just that day. I felt very blessed. It was just that day I was in a lot of pain. A couple of days later, you know, you gotta go back. I, I was at the clinic every day getting poked and prodded. It felt like you were on an assembly line. You were a number, you were a name. It was very business-like and, and took out all the romanticism and intimacy. So a couple of days later, I go in for an ultrasound. Uh, the HCG levels, were still there. I was still pregnant and they couldn't find where the baby was growing. Oh so every day I had to go in for ultrasounds and blood work to see if the HCG, HCG levels were going to drop and they were not. They continued to skyrocket indicating I was pregnant. So because they couldn't find it, they didn't want to bring me into surgery right away, right? So they're trying to avoid that. So what they did, instead of giving me surgery, I had to undergo three rounds of a form of chemotherapy to try to dissolve the baby cells so that they can pass on their own before they brought me into surgery. Oh my God. Because this had turned into an ectopic pregnancy at this point. My doctor said to me, this happens to less than 1% of women. I'm like, woohoo! One of them. My question would be, how do you get in? Like, I understand how you get an ectopic pregnancy when you're conceiving naturally. But how does the embryo get from your uterus into your... <laughs> That's a very good question. Like, I understand how it happened with you, Nikki, mm -hmm. because you guys conceived naturally. But if you have an embryo that you're implanting into a uterus, how does, how does that happen? Great question, because that's exactly what I had for them. And <laughs> they basically told me, your body does whatever it does. That's the scientific explanation, right? So I'll, I'll get into more of what I think and feel oh. after I further explain what continued to happen on this awesome journey. And I'm, and really when I say it, I'm not even being funny for me and my perspective and my mentality about what I went through was honestly the most powerful, intense, amazing experiences I could have ever gone through. And I feel so grateful that I did not conceive a child seven and a half years ago when my ego, when my conscious mind thought that's what Michelle needed because Michelle would not have been able to break the generational curses I'm breaking in my family dynamic because I wasn't as healed as I am now sitting here talking to you. So three rounds of chemotherapy did not work. And, and by the way, my doctor thought I was losing my mind because I would go in there with such high energy. Hey doc, smiling, joking with him because I've been through so much in my life. This is, this is what I do. Right. And I really was okay. But he was like, you're not in pain. You're not in any pain. I'm like, no doc, literally I'm not. I would be telling you. So he thought I was sat me down. He's like, do you need some help? <laughs> I'm like, I'm in therapy. 
I promise you, Dr. Grow, I got this. I'm not losing my mind. I'm just going with the flow, right? Riding this like the wave. So eventually I was two and a half months pregnant and the chemotherapy was not working. So they, they brought me into surgery. They, um, it was successful. It, it was an amazing surgery. They found it growing in my left fallopian tube. So they were able to extract it. And I was able to keep all of my other reproductive and internal organs. So great, you think this journey is over. A couple days later, I get a phone call and I thought he was checking on me to say, hey, how you feeling, everything good? He's like, Michelle, I need you to sit down. I'm like, all right, sitting down, what's up? And he's like, I can't believe I'm about to say this to you, but I just got a call from the pathologist and they think that this pregnancy turned into something called a complete molar pregnancy, which means, because I never heard of this term I until- I've never I've heard of this. Quite honestly, I've never even heard of an atopic pregnancy until it happened to me. Same. Didn't even know what it was. So- I'm writing this down. <laughs> okay, explain. <laughs> what is said that as the baby was growing in me, some of the cells from the baby broke off and potentially went into all of my other internal organs, such as my liver- whatever. Right. And so what that treatment plan was going to look like was three rounds of chemotherapy for six months to a year, because if that was the case, it was going to cause me cancer. 99.9%. percent mm -hmm. complete full body chills right now. Yeah. I don't even have the words for, I didn't even know that that was a, I've never had thing. No. And what are, did they explain to you? Like the chances, like we know it's one in what is it? One in five for a topic? Like what's the percentage on that? Did they go yeah. into that with you? I, I mean, I read all the documentation, everything that I was signing, right? I don't recall ever seeing that or hearing that ever. I never heard of that. How does the doctor say that though? Like right. what is the, like, I'm trying to imagine like being the doctor telling you this, like, do they give you any information other than this is what, this is what's happening? He was so shook himself. He was like, oh, Michelle, so it's, rare. Never no, it's, it's rare, but is it, I don't, it's rare and I don't want to use the word common, but did it happen because it wasn't a natural and I don't want to say not a natural, you didn't well, conceive naturally, right? Was that, were you more at risk because of that? So listen, being a scientific person myself, right? Prior to my spiritual growth, you know, when thinking about it, okay, if the baby was in there and they were leaving it there for two and a half months for good reason, no one wants to get opened up in surgery. So I know why they waited that long. Mm -hmm. But that's probably why, right? So the baby's hanging out in there and it can break off. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not blaming anybody, right? It is what right. it is. But yeah, I have no idea. Sorry, you can hear my dogs. I apologize. <laughs> so one of the things I do every morning is I listen to like really inspirational, powerful songs. And one of them is Unstoppable by Sia. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I'm unstoppable. I put my armor on to show you how strong I am. And so my brother was living with me at the time. He had just happened to come down the stairs when the doctor told me this. And I had been pretty stoic throughout the whole thing, but this, this hit me like a ton of bricks. I started to cry. I was like, holy cow. Like, I just wanted it to be over at that point. I had accepted the reality. I'm not a mom. I lost the baby. I had two miscarriages prior to that. Naturally, when we were trying, like it was just, I was done. Right. I also had a client waiting for me in session because it was the last five minutes. I didn't want to answer this call. So I had to regroup, literally put my armor on and get back to work. So I did that. And then later that evening, I prayed, I meditated, did some Reiki. I'm very much into that. And that's what's also helped heal me. And I'll get into that. 
and my friend did a session for me. And two days later, the doctor called me. I thought it was like, you know, for the, the treatment plan and when I was going to start chemo. And he goes, Michelle, I, I have, I can't believe this, but you're fine. There's no complete molar pregnancy. You don't have to start chemo and radiation. You're good to go. And it just cleared up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I kept living my life, you know, going back to some type of normalcy. Couldn't work out for a while. I just started getting back into some things. Mm-hmm. So through that, you guys, like that whole experience. All right. First of all, I should back up and say, like, I'm very intuitive. Um, I kind of knew intuitively that I probably shouldn't have undergone IVF. It was more of my ego speaking, right? Michelle thinks she knows what she wants and she needs. I want this baby. I need this baby, whatever it is. Right. And you know, the universe was like, no, like you should trust yourself, Michelle. So then I went and I did this. And that's why I think there is no scientific explanation for me and my spiritual growth. This was supposed to happen for Michelle to back up, stop trying to control her life as this goal-oriented person she thought she had to be during her survival time. And I've let it go. And I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And I do believe that I will conceive naturally one day. No, did my ego wanna be almost 40 years old when this happens? No, but I've accepted that, I'm open to it. And whatever happens in this next chapter of my life, I'm okay with. I think you are one of the most amazing, beautiful, like I'm crying over here, but you are one of the most amazing, beautiful humans I've ever had the ability to speak with. And I am just in awe of how you look at things. And I just can't stop crying listening to you talk. Like You are just so incredible and you're strong and I'm just blown away by you. Well, I'm really happy that I'm able to touch you in this way. And this is, this is my life's purpose. This is this is what I thrive on. I love helping other people and sharing my story because, because I have that, you know, you guys can believe what I'm saying because I've been through it. And that's why a lot of my clients and their feedback that I have this unique perspective, I'm raw, I'm real. I'm, I follow my code of ethics, but I'm not the most traditional therapist. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Just as a woman and a human, like you're just for everything that you've been through, to just have the mindset that you have. I, I literally am speechless. Like, I don't even know what to say to you because I'm just in awe of you. I, told you. I, I can't, I like, like I, and I'm just crying hysterically over here. You could probably hear all my sniffles. <laughs> um, I just, I, I want to hug you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come down to Texas one day, Heather. And meet you. Okay, the next time, the next time my sister and Justin come, come along. I just, your outlook on... Okay just that one piece of your story is beautiful. And I just, I, I, you know, I, I'm not there yet with my infertility and my failed IVF. And we didn't get, we didn't even have a viable embryo to even get to that, the transfer part, but like, uh, and that was in 2020 and I'm still not where you are mentally. And I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, you can be, I want to be. (laughs) So I just right here. I know. I'm all I can say is I'm, I'm just in awe of you and how you have taken your life and all of the trauma and everything you've been through and turned like you were just this amazing woman. Thank you. Thank you. And you had mentioned something earlier, Heather, that like, you know, we're all on our own journeys and I may be a couple steps header than, than a person. Um, but that's where the growth lies, right? You can listen to my story and experience and 
take your own journey and let that resonate with you. And, you know, we're, we're a master of our own lives, guys. Like you, you talk about women, we're, we're superheroes, honestly, yeah. like we're badass. Like we do a lot. Like you mentioned being moms, whether it's a fur mom, a wife, a career woman, a daughter, a sister, we make it happen. But I will say a lot of us lose ourselves along the way. You know, and so I needed to kill off that old broken version of me in order to let my new version be rebirthed. Right. And that takes an incredible amount of work. I won't lie. This like this, this doesn't just happen overnight. Right. This is booger crying on your therapist's couch and in the fetal position. But I'll tell you how amazing I felt after even after each session, because when you can stand fear in the face. Right. And conquer through it. How proud of you are after that? That's where the empowerment lies, right? When people start to realize that we only have control over ourselves and that we are the master of our own destiny and stop letting the masses and the cultural conditioning control us. You know, people aren't stressed because they're doing too much, right? They're stressed because they're doing too little of what makes them feel alive. Oh, that's perfect. That, that is such a different perspective because when I think of stress, it's yes, but you're right. Yeah. Like stress to me is like, I can't control something. I'm going to, you know, make myself feel a certain way because I don't have control of it. But you're putting in that perspective. That's, that's, that's that's the way to look at it. That's good. Because guys, we're caught up in the matrix, right? Like we're going to work nine to five. I'm Mm -hmm. sure we like it a little bit. It's a passion. It's making us money. You know, when I was working 12 hours a week or 12 hours a day, I wasn't able to be home enjoying my pup and my husband and hiking. And because then I was majorly depressed, laying in bed, not doing anything on the weekend because I was so stressed out with not doing anything that fuels my soul. So taking that leap of faith, it's about risk-taking. Leaving Yale, people were like, you're crazy. Might be, might be taking a risk, but I'm not going to continue to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. And Michelle was literally going insane. So. That's, a, that's powerful there. I, I come, I, one of my favorite things about everybody or people that I interact with is when people have that moment when they're like, I need to, I need to take care of me. Like it's such a powerful and strong, when you can finally admit, like, I am not giving myself what it needs. And I'm not okay. And I'm not okay. And I'm going to make that change. To me, that is one of the most beautiful things in anybody's story, like man, woman, child, whatever it is that you can go, I don't feel okay. And I need to fix this. And I don't care what I need to do to do it. I'm going to do it. And I've done that. That's why I feel like I was where I am and how I am in my life is I, it took me a while to get there. But I did one day when I was at the firm, I was like, I'm done. I was doing the same thing, Michelle. I was working 60 hours a week. I was waking up two in the morning working because uh, I, I wanted to be ahead of everybody else because I didn't want to come to work with problems. So I'd work for two hours, go back to bed for about 40 minutes, get up, have coffee with John, get have him yell at me because I'm checking my email on my phone. Like, <laughs> I literally was doing this. And I got so sick that it actually pushed me into my third, I think it was my third surgery for my endometriosis like I've made myself physically sick and after that I was like you know what I can't I can't keep doing this yeah. I can't keep doing it and right there that one single moment like when that the way that they were like you said you said it perfectly they can only be so you know understanding right yeah. and I was in a management position and I had kind of what I did was I was a docketing manager which is just I won't even go into details but it's a it's a lot it's a hard job 
quite honestly, because mm-hmm. you're responsible for 60 people's day, daily tasks, right? And I had a team of five who, you know, whatever. But I was so wrapped up in needing to be the best at it and making sure that I was reaching a percentage, you know, 100%, we make no mistakes, that when I did make mistakes, the amount of, like, the way I beat myself up was worse than when I actually loved myself. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is not okay. Yeah. Sit here. I would be waiting for something wrong to happen. If I had a good day, I'd be like, it's good something. This is the day. Something's going to happen. I'm waiting for it. And I was constantly in this state of like anxiousness and fear. And I was like, I can't. I, like I, they, when I went to them with my health problems, they basically said, meh, get over it. Have your surgery. Come back to work. <clears throat> You're easily replaceable, right? We're all easily replaceable. Well, everybody is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that yeah. moment for me is I kind of lived in that position going, I wasn't replaceable. Like I, I ego, you said it. I'm the best at this. They're not going to find somebody better. I trained my replacement. Like they clearly could do this job without me. I did the same thing <laughs> when I left the last mortgage company that I was with. I'm in mortgage right now. Um, and when I left, I thought, they need me. I'm the best at my job and nobody ever checked on me or asked how I was doing or anything after I left. Right. So. And it's just this, that moment and like, it's a job, right? Yeah. Like you don't have And if to, you're not going to do it, they can find somebody yeah. who can do it just as good yeah. or better than you. And there's no reason, there's no reason to sit 40 hours a week and be fucking miserable. 60 no. hours a week and be fucking miserable. It's not worth yes. it. My mom literally is kind of in that same position. She's been in the same position for years. She's has her days where she's fine and her days where she's not. But I'm like, if you don't like it, go. Just, yes. So you don't need the, to stay there. <laughs> like, the people are comfortable. Nobody is going to save you. Nobody's been, gonna save yeah. you. I was nope. like, that's my favorite thing. Nobody is gonna save you. And, and in that moment, when I decided, I was like, you know what? This is it, I'm done. See, and I'm just at the beginning part of mine where, and I broke down at your house when we recorded the Last self-love weekend, app. Yeah, yeah when, because I have been going through um, for years. I mean, and it started when we started trying to have a baby and it consumed my life. And that was almost six years ago for six years. I let this consume my life and the failure of not being able to get pregnant and the failed this and the failed yet. I've literally let it consume every part of my life. And I am a person that I don't even recognize anymore. And I've been going through it where I'm like, I don't need therapy. I don't need this. I'm oh, fine. I can Michelle. fix this myself, like all these things. And I finally, last weekend or whenever we recorded, yeah, so it would have been last weekend we recorded the self-love episode. We were taking notes and I literally just started ugly crying. And mm-hmm. Nikki was like, uh, <laughs> we need to, do we need another do we do because, do you want to take a break because I didn't want to exp- I didn't want to exploit her either right I didn't want to force but her it was, the it was yeah and it was six years hit me like a ton of bricks in that one moment and I just ever since then I've just like my brain like I haven't slept because I'm like what are the things that I need to do to change my life, to heal. Because, right, I'm like, I don't know where to start. I don't, because I thought that I had the tools Mm -hmm. and I thought, and I would tell Nikki, because over the years, I mean, she would (laughs) nudge a little, like, you may want therapy. I don't need therapy. That's, I don't need therapy. And I I don't know why, I'm not doing this today. (laughs) Because I don't know, I don't know why or what, but I don't need therapy because in my mind, I guess, if I, that's me finally admitting that like, I can't do this by myself. I am broken or whatever else negative that goes with that. And I've, for, yeah, 
Yeah. So that's where I'm at is like, so hearing you talk about it and yeah, Michelle, you, you take down your clients. <laughs> I have one for you. <laughs> I am happy to help Heather along this journey. No, I just feel like I'm just happy to. There was my goal this week. I was going to find her a therapist. And I was like, wait till we talk to Michelle on Sunday. I was like, you're going to love her. And you're going to hear her. Because I, I mean, you and I haven't directly talked about this. But I know you from past. And my sister mm-hmm. my sister and your brother are like two pieces in a pod. So I've heard you, you know, different stories. But I am... Like I said, your bio on, on Friday when we were reading, I was like, and I was like, I know you don't know her, but I'm so proud reading this. Like, it's just you, Heather put it beautifully earlier. You are like, I can't. <laughs> I'm like, there's, just, no words. Just, there's no words, Michelle. You are amazing. Just absolutely amazing. I really appreciate the feedback. And for the first time in my life, I, I will accept and receive that feedback, right? When people <laughs> yeah. used to say it back in the day, what? No, I'm not. I'm just Michelle, right? Yeah, and then some of my clients, okay would say, oh, like I had the Michelle effect when I left her, her office, I have the Michelle effect and I use Michelleisms. And then hearing your guys' feedback helps empower me, right? And it helps me now adapt new core beliefs that Michelle can be confident no matter who's gonna try to bring her down because it's gonna happen. People are gonna talk crap because of their own stuff, right? People are gonna feed off of us, you know, because they don't know how to do it themselves. And Heather, I'm happy to help you in any sense of the word. And like, you know, going to speak, I don't need therapy, right? Even myself, even myself sometimes like, nah, I'm helping everybody else. Like, I don't need to do this. And a lot of my clients are because it's, you got to face it. Right. And then, you know, that you're facing it. So there's some avoidance in there um, and your brain's comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. So we've been going through life, even though we're stressed and, but we know this stress, I know how to survive through this stress. I don't know what's on the other end, which often stops us in a track from doing something different to feel something different. You know, your brain doesn't care what's right or wrong, good or bad. It's going to believe whatever we tell it. So try changing some of the words and the pictures in it. Right. What the biggest proponent for me through the fertility was Okay. So I told you like I'm into intuition and I have gone to my intuitive spiritual healers and mediums for validation. And at one point my grandmother came through and she was like, will you stop focusing on what you don't have and focus on what you do have? Be grateful for what you have. And I was like, man, she's helping me more on the other side than she was able to help me. (laughs) And it sat with me and I was like, you know, she's right. Mm -hmm. I had lost touch with reality because of something I didn't have. I was wasting my life, not playing with my dog, not enjoying my husband's time or anything else with my girlfriends. You know, all of us have our rock bottom. We don't have to be an addict to have a rock bottom. Actually, codependency is an addiction. And I was addicted to codependency Mm -hmm. with the dynamic of my family. So. Yeah, it's. I'm like learning over the like. I'd say the last couple of years, especially with family stuff and, you know, with talking with my sister, it's family stuff, the codependency, the way I could put it is like a toxic, I don't know why I always go here, but like a toxic relationship can be toxic regardless of what it is. Like, it does not matter. Your parents can do it. Yes. Your anybody, family yes. can do it. I and that. that's, I'm now learning in my own, I don't go to therapy. I, I, I should, I just got diagnosed. This is a whole other thing, but <laughs> I am, I have a script. I'm just waiting for them to call me. They diagnosed me with grief reaction because I had my hysterectomy in June. So I had a bunch of issues that I wasn't dealing with because again, here I am 
I got this. I'm confident. Like, you know me, I'm fine. And then I would have moments or spouts where I wouldn't want to get out of bed. And I'm learning how to set. One of the things was, you know, with family, like I had to start setting boundaries with my mom because the talk over and over again about this one having a kid or that one having a kid, it didn't bother me that I didn't have a kid. It bothered me that it bothered her, right? Yeah. Like, it, was, it wasn't about me, right? Like it was about her. And I couldn't, it would, I finally turned out like, I can't, we can't talk about this anymore, mom. I just can't. I'm sorry you don't, you're not healing from it, but I've accepted this. At least I think I have. And I want to move on from it. I don't want to keep talking about it. Yeah. And setting those boundaries or the codependency, like Danielle calls me, I'm the therapist with family. Everybody calls me, right? You're I'm my therapist. <laughs> I call you too. So, and I'm learning to not, because that's another thing John gets mad at me. So he's like, can you just stay out of it? <laughs> like, you don't need to do it. So I understand that codependency of like, and yeah. then I had to set boundaries with my mom. Like, we're not talking about this anymore. Or you can't talk. If you're going to talk to me that way, we're not having this conversation hanging off the phone. Great. Setting those healthy boundaries is so important. And what I'll say about, um, man, I'm going to lose my train of thought because I don't want to interrupt you. Codependency, you're fine. We were talking about healing. We're all responsible for healing ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so, oh, the biggest thing I've realized, because I used to be a protector. So through all the little kids in my family, even my parents, I was do, do, doing all the time, not teaching. I was protecting them from feeling emotions that I had to endure as a child. But I realized I'm not helping them help themselves by doing for them. Right. And it sounds like you might do the same for your dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right. Where the power lied for me was healing myself and role modeling for them. And then once I healed myself, now going back to rescue them by teaching them how to help themselves instead of me protecting them. Right. So maybe through your own journey, if you do find, you know, and there's so many, this is what leading me to my next steps of career, right? There's a lot of people have a negative stigma associated with traditional therapy, right? For a lot of good reasons. And even though I'm a psychotherapist, I, I'm now a Reiki practitioner. I've taken my classes to be Reiki certified, which is energy work and, and healing in that kind of way and tapping more into my intuition and doing some spiritual healing for people. I am also engaged in this international award-winning treatment modality called RTT, which is rapid transformational therapy. And I definitely recommend you both look it up for your own journeys that you're talking to me about, because this woman, Marissa Peer, has a ton of programs, um, a lot of self-help programs. And I swear by this woman, I wouldn't have engaged in a whole year curriculum after my graduate degree and journey and paid obscene amount of money for this program, because it's basically a form of hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. And actually, I will send you guys a podcast after we are done with this, because it was the most profound podcast So listening to it as a therapist and wanting to help people and then listening to it because it ended up being about a narcissistic mother who traumatized this woman and which resulted in her issues with money and why she was on her third marriage. So it was triggering, but it was also inspiring because I was like, wow, she just helped this lady in an hour and a half. And I have some people I've been working with for eight years. What is happening? Right. Right. So I want to learn as many holistic approaches and dynamics and actually want to be called a life coach instead of a therapist, because I feel like more people will feel comfortable coming to someone with a life, like a life coach. People are so worried about labels and, oh, if she's a therapist, she's going to get in my head. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about that, you know? So I feel like people might be a little more receptive to holistic stuff. 
Right. And I think that's kind of one of the things that you've said to me in the past is I could talk to my friends. I don't want to talk to a therapist. Like you always had this kind of negative, like you said, that traditional. But I don't know why. Right. Like, I've never had a bad experience with a therapist, so I don't know why that yeah. would be. But I'm trying to get my mother to go and she has the same same mental like same reaction again, I don't need to go I don't know why you keep telling me I need to go I'm because like, does it imply something's wrong with you like maybe it's something from the subconscious you know I wonder like maybe it's coming from a little bit of that you know my mom my in my mom's case it's more so I think she thinks she's not depressed I'm like you're you're absolutely you know I'm the opposite I know there's a problem right. you're you're absolutely <laughs> I'm well aware, aware that I am not okay yeah um, Listen, an insight is the first thing, right, Heather? Like, that's why my practice is called New Insight Counseling, because as long as you have the awareness and the insight, yeah, you you have the capability of, of learning and finding the tools to help you help yourself, whatever that's going to look like, you know? Yeah. I don't see why it's so... I like the idea of switching it to life coach, because I think it'll be a little bit more receptive to people, because I don't see it. I... Oh shit, I'll talk all day. Like, <laughs> listen to me, let's go. So I never see it. I've never had the negative uh, perspective on it, right? Like to me, it's just yeah. talking. And I'm laughing because, you know, your sister, obviously I'm her therapist and she, she will talk too. Like, and I, and I love that. But, but then there's some things I'll hear, right? And I'll stop her and I'll say, hmm, <laughs> think about this a little bit, right? Or you just gaslighted the heck out of him. <laughs> and she'll be Oh, oh, I hate you for that, Michelle, but you're right. You know, cause like, that's why I say, I, you know, a lot of therapists, they're afraid to call clients out or, you know, on certain things that are heavy topics. And I'm not, I'm not the one, I'm not going to allow someone to stay stuck because that's my job is to help them heal themselves. Right. But a lot of people do come into therapy and they just want to like, and it's, and it's, I'm not saying you, Nick, but it would be like an avoidance. Like they just keep talking about the same thing over and over because they don't want to get to the meat and potatoes, if that makes sense. Right. I had this, I was talking actually my sister about this and I was like, you know, some of the reasons that people don't get help is one of the things is, well, my doctor would refer to me if I needed to go to another, you're not going to be honest with your doctor that you had a bad, you know, oh, it's just a bad day. You know, I just didn't sleep the other night. You start making all these excuses, there is always an excuse. you know, yeah. like if somebody went in legitimately and was like, doc, I'm not sleeping. I find myself to be irritable. Then they have these steps. I, I forget what it is. I used to love, I love psychology. There's a, what's it called? Uh, I'm always butchering stuff. There's like seven things that a doctor has to recognize when they, to, to be required to send somebody to therapy. And I can't remember all so of them. I went to my general practitioner mm-hmm. after, I think it was after my miscarriage. And I did complete like a one page form and she did not refer me to therapy. She put me on depression and anti-anxiety oh, medicine. See, no. Mm-hmm. I did not get referred to a therapist to have to get, get a new med- medication. So I took the medication and all it did was I just felt nothing ever. My husband loved it because I was never in a bad mood. <laughs> but then I'm like, I stopped taking it because I'm like, I literally feel nothing and I don't want to live that way. Right. And so I said, but there was no, there was no, ther- so you don't have to get, if you go to a doctor, they'll, nowadays, they can just give you the medicine and you don't have, you bypass therapy. Yeah, see, and I don't, I don't understand that. Like if there's, tri- I don't even want to use the word triggering, but if you have somebody who's literally giving you what I believe to be depression, right? There's a constant, your body takes on pain in different ways when you, when you're depressed. Like 
five backwards. I'm like, guys, hey, what's bothering me today? Like, am I having a bad day? Because I can recognize when I'm having in those depressive moments or if something hurts. I like if you're going into a doctor and saying, hey, this, 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 and they never find anything wrong with you, at what point do they are they required to go, why don't you go talk to somebody? You know, you've been here you know, 16 times in the last two months and you have nothing wrong with you. No, maybe it's time to speak with somebody. Because I told my doctor, I went yeah. in, I said, I'm trying to get pregnant, I had a miscarriage, I'm depressed. Like I filled out, I was completely honest. Right. And it was here's a prescription. Yeah. There was no, so I don't think doctors, which kind of put me off of regular doctors now, right? right. Because they, there I hate that. I hate doctors who just push medicine. I had that one doctor here with the, that, what was that drug for the endometriosis? Yeah. Push, push, push. They didn't want to help me actually control my symptoms. Yeah. We're just going to put so. you on a pill. No. One that led to suicide thoughts. I'm like, I'll be the one that's going to sit there in the middle of the bed going, all right, Nick, it's time. Let's go. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, there's a side effect to every medication. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it breaks my heart that you had that experience. Maybe that's one of the things that's deterring you for therapy too. They should have referred you. I mean, everybody's different. We all have different credentials and backgrounds, psychiatrists, doctors. They're all about the medication. It's a pharmaceutical world out there. They make a ton of money off of it. Um, but no, I think the, no. And I, I, you know, I had been on and off medication pretty much to the bulk of like my traumas and it helped intermittently for the panic. But other than that, no. And I would rather see everybody off of medication and doing more holistic things to fuel their soul and their mind and their body, you know, because food, food can, can do more than medications. I think at this uh-huh. point and, and certain herbs and supplements. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, my medicine cabinet literally, I like John's having like take some city John's work. That'll help you with some of your anxiety. Like I can literally give you, I will not, I mean, like I will not take medication. If I can find a supplement or a vitamin or something to take that will do what I need it to do, I'll do that first. Yeah. Yeah. I take like 11 different pills every day just to be like good. (laughs) None of them are are prescription. No. So they're all vitamins Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I take them on different periods of day because I've learned how like my body goes up and down, how I am throughout the day. But yeah, I food diet, like there's, when I don't eat right, I know my body is, will react to me and say, Mm-mm. my mood is different. Yeah. If I eat something like greasy yeah. Yeah. or yeah, versus, yeah. you know, something happens. It's like also like sugar. I've started paying attention to sugar. I've never paid attention to sugar before. And now I'm starting mm-hmm. to I'm like, damn, it's all of it. Yeah. I just got um diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. And one of the things that you're not supposed, well, you're not supposed to have a lot of things. So I can't do dairy, soy, and gluten. Mm-hmm. Gluten's easy. I've been kind of gluten-free. I'm never this strict, but now I'm strict. Soy is in everything. And what people mm-hmm. don't realize, if you're listening, check your ingredients of things that you eat that are just in bags, right? You know, a lot of people eat natural, right? So you, you don't have to check it, but like check your salad dressing. Do you know how much soy fucks with your hormones? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's in everything. It's in, it's in stuff that we're feeding our children. Like if you want to get, I love nerdy stuff too. If you want to get on the scientific road of like what are, what food is doing to generations and fertility and all that, that's a whole other topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Soy is in everything. Companies use it as a thickener. I've researched so much in the last, well, since I got diagnosed in October on it. And it's just, it's amazing to me. And I've can notice because sometimes I just have like I'll, you can't avoid it right and I can tell just on my mood or mm-hmm. how I'm feeling that I'm having a shift in my hormones like I can feel it change or I can feel a mood swing coming on and it's just like like for something so tiny 
Yeah. That I never even paid attention to before. So soy and sugar is like my new thing I'm paying attention to. It's just read your labels, guys. That's a topic for another day. <laughs> I just can't. I literally it makes she it. She can go on for yeah. It we is have serious. to cut her off on this because she will go off for because it a long time. Well, it does. Like it's yeah. not fair. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> So to piggyback off of that, you know, you just said it's not fair. And that just made me think that was one of the things I said to myself a lot during the depression with the fertility stuff. It's not fair. Why does this drug addict get to have a child and bring this poor baby into the world? It's not fair for this, right? So going back to the change the words and the pictures in your mind, you know, I just look at it different and put a different perspective on it. It's all about mentality. And, and, and healing ourselves, you know, and, and how we look at it, glass half full or half empty. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's true. And we all have a choice and free will. Are we going to allow our traumas and, and these past consume us? Or are we going to choose to face it all and work through it in order to feel better and come out on the other side? And I have to tell you, I feel so relieved, so much lighter. Um, you know, I, I consult with the spiritual healer in Thailand and he's an awesome guy. And has given me a lot of validation and he, you know, the same you, you don't know how special you are, Michelle, you think you're just a psychotherapist. You're here to do this and that. And he had told me during this journey, um, cause I, I wanted to know about the baby stuff. Why am I not having a child? So he's like, I, you know, I don't know all this kind of stuff, but he was like, you know, you're going to fall in love soon. And I was like, what? I love my husband. Like he's my soulmate. What do you mean? And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, not that kind of love. And I'm like, okay, so it must mean a baby, right? How can you love anything more than like your partner and then a baby unconditionally? And then when I went through all that and that topic, I was like, oh, well, it wasn't the baby. (laughs) And so what I finally realized is he was talking about me falling in love with myself. I love myself so, so, so much flaws and all at this point that I, I can't even explain it. And I think, and that's why I'm empowering women and men and children that I work with to fall in love with yourself. There's a lot of ways to do it, you know, and the rest will fall into place, you know, and if you can love yourself and you can trust yourself, right? Not trust Nikki, not trust your husband, not trust this one. If you can trust yourself, no matter what happens at the end of the day, whether our husbands leave us or they pass away or other crazy stuff happens, you know that you will be okay because you got yourself, right? Like we're only walking in this life alone. It's the cultural conditioning that creates all these unhealthy attachments to other people, to materialistic things and to our bodies. We're attached to these bodies. Like it's the end all be all, but we're all going to die one day and be in the ground. (laughs) So that was the best thing I could have ever done for myself is, is fall in love and be selfish for the first time. There's a, there's a healthy balance between selfish, selfish and selflessness, right? If you work on healing yourself, you know, you're going to be able to help so many people around you, your families, you know, your hubs, all that kind of stuff. And all of this, these awesome listeners that you guys have, because this is amazing what you guys are doing. And I thank you for it because we need more, we need more of it out there to empower women and men. They need a lot of love too. Yeah, they do. On that note, with talking about falling in love with yourself, I have a question for you. Sure. What is the one thing you used to apologize for in the past, but you are unlikely to apologize for now? 
I will never again apologize for being my most authentic true self, no matter what other people's expectations are of me. I used to apologize, you know, for being who I am, laughing, wearing sparkles. People would often say, why do you act like a kid? Well, my childhood was robbed from me, so I will always be a big kid. You don't know my shoes that I had to fill, you know? So I used to conform. I'm no longer a conformer. I'm a transformer. And I literally am okay with whatever people's opinions are of me, good, bad, or in between family, husband, friends, clients, because at the end of the day, when I look inside, I know I have people's best interests at heart, a hundred percent and nothing I ever say or do will is intending on hurting someone. It's only to help. And as long as I can keep matching that energy and raising my vibrations, I will never apologize again for, or change who I am for anybody else to please them. Right. Never again. That's, that's so good. Love it. Yeah. I am just so grateful to have had the opportunity to meet you and hear your story and speak with you. And I will be reaching out to you. I'm going to make sure she reaches out to you. I'm you're just incredible. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to help. (laughs) any way they can. Thank you guys for this awesome opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I felt great through the whole thing. Not, not anxious. So how do you feel? Yeah, I feel good. I feel good to finally start sharing my story and getting it out more to the, just my soul tribe who's been with me through the whole thing, you know? So I'm really excited. I'm, I'm ready to travel. I'm ready to be on more public platforms and maybe even start my own stuff to, to put more of my strategies out there and to anyone who wants to listen. I feel like you just have so many incredible stories and I feel like we didn't even really get to touch on them that just what you've been through in your life the amount of people you could help by sharing it's you would be floored at the amount of people who need to hear what you have to say yeah yeah I'm sure I'm I'm ready I'm sure it's, okay. it'll be you, overwhelming. You'll probably be asked to come back on again. Yeah. <laughs> it was never enough. I'm happy to. You just didn't even touch on, mm-hmm. on half of what you mm-hmm. could have shared with us. Right. Yeah. No, I'm happy to. You guys let me know whatever you need and I will make myself available. This was fun. Thank you guys so, so, so much. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank we you. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Thanks. Um, yeah.